there's a well-known story, and, and the experiment is often recounted of this picture here, often recounted of placing a frog in a pan of cool water on a, on a stove, and then if you slowly heat that stove by, by small increments of heat, uh, well, it's interesting what happens. Eventually the frog dies, but because of the, the rise in the temperature is so gradual, the frog doesn't actually detect the gradual slow increase of the heat. He actually remains in the pan even when the water begins to boil. And so he, his body adjusts to that heat as it rises, and eventually the frog boils to death. Well, that process, it's a great illustration because the process actually illustrates what is happening to our own culture and this world, and particularly the family. Because one of the reasons why our culture in this world is, is, has just gone into anarchy is because of the disintegration of the family. I think I told you I'm reading Gibbon's book, uh, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, and that is one of the main reasons for the, for the fall of the Roman Empire, was the disintegration of the family. And sadly, it's even happening in churches, in, in, in Christian families as well. What's happened is there's been a change in values, a, a change in standards in our society, and it's been gradual, like the frog in the water. It's been so gradual, a lot of people haven't even noticed, and a lot of people have just moved along with the world. And because adjustments are gradual, made uh, made to lose those lower standards, the danger isn't even noticed by the family and society. And so things start to disintegrate. Things crumble, eventually are destroyed. So the moral and spiritual standards have gradually eroded with with a lot of families. And, and so the, the, a lot of families are destroyed. You have uh, kids growing up without fathers, very very common thing. A lot of divorce taking place, and and as a result of the messed up families, a lot of a lot of people today don't even want to get married because the family is such a mess. And so, with this, the 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 moral standards and the spiritual standards and the values just disintegrating, it's all the more important that we go to the one who made the family and find out what does he have to say. So let's come to Ephesians chapter 6. And today we're going to see the, the roles in the family. We've already seen the role of the husband, the role of the wife. Now we come to roles in the family. Ephesians 6 verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now for you children, this is going to be your all-time favorite sermon, so listen closely. It's applicable to you. Parents, this is applicable to you. Grandparents, this is applicable to you. Singles, this is applicable to you. You might need to know this stuff one day. And even if you never get married, please pray for those of us who are parents. 
we need you to pray for us desperately. So there, it, it, this applies for all of you. Now, here's, here's the proposition from God's Word today. See, it's all, the key word here, your underline, is submit. Key word, because it's all in the context from chapter 5, verse 21. We are to be submitting to one another. Children are to submit. Parents are to submit. Different roles now, but there's all these submissions that are to be taking place here. So God wants you to submit to your particular role in the family. We all have different roles. God starts with the child here, and so let's look at the role of the child. And the first of two roles for the child is God says, Obey your parents. And because it says children there in verse 1, we need to talk about then what is a child. A lot of things today in our postmodern culture is, is just so confused, so messed up, because there is no truth, no reality. It's, it's, it's like trying to nail, nail jelly to the wall. How do you define this? Well, God doesn't tell you that it, you know, it, it stops at 12 or, you know, there's this push today that it's, it's now 16, right? Right? No, God doesn't say it stops at 16 or, you know, this arbitrary number, picking numbers out of the air. Oh, 18, right? Well, it used to be 21, right? Where, where does child stop? Well, you need to understand that children here refers to all offspring. It doesn't just refer to the ones under 12 years old or under 10 or wherever, some arbitrary number you just pick off the top of your head. So here's the point, my friends. As long as you're living under your parents' roof, you must obey them. Because God doesn't say that the child stops at 10, 12, 16, 18, 21, or 30, or 40, or whatever, right? So as long as you're living under your parents' roof, you must obey them. So it says children obey. What does that mean? Well, that's a verb, and and it's actually in the present imperative active. So it means that you're to give heed. It means you're to follow. It means you're to yield and it's interesting because this is used for many different roles, in fact. It's, it's also used in regard to servants. It's used referring to soldiers obeying, even to pupils obeying. It literally means you're to hear under as a subordinate, recognizing this is your role, you're a subordinate, you're to hear under someone who has a different role than you. You're to listen attentively. It means to conform to a command. That's what it means to obey. That's what obedience is. So Ephesians 6, 1 says, Children, who are you to obey? By the way, notice it says, your parents. You're to obey your parents. But how should children obey? What does that look like? How do I do that? Let me give you some help, coming even from right here in this verse, because it says, first of all, children, obey your parents. How? In the Lord. In the Lord. Now that means you do whatever your parent requires, whether you like it or not, or whether you think this is a good idea or not. It means you do it unless it's unbiblical, ungodly, or illegal. So if it, if it leads you outside God's will or away from God's word, then you don't do it. 
I mean, the obvious example I've heard many times is if uh, if your father says, uh, go rob the bank or, you know, steal some lollies out of the store or whatever, right? You know that's against God's will for your life. That's stealing, so don't do that. So how should children obey? Children need to listen. There's this idea inherent in that word obey that there's to be a lot of listening going on. And when you're listening, it's to be with attentiveness for the purpose of responding positively to what is heard. So obedience includes a response. It it includes an immediate response, by the way, because obedience doesn't take place unless it's immediate. And it must be a positive thing. So you're to put yourself under the authority of your parents. That is your first role. And by the way, included in this is you need to be sensitive to your parents' wisdom and their counsel and their care in your life. Be very sensitive to that. God's the one who put who gave you your parents, and God never makes a mistake. So what's the reason? Number four here. What, what's the reason? We're, in other words, what is the motive for obedience? God gives us two. First of all, notice God says, because it's right. Some people call this natural law. It's the right thing to do. It is the correct thing to do. Because God's the one who made your parents. God's the one who made you. God's the one who put you in your family. And so, since God's the one who made all this stuff, then it has to be right. And he's the one who commanded this, by the way. It's a command. It's not an option. It's it's imperative in the Greek. So that's your first role. Well, we could talk a long time about this, but there's a lot to get through today. So role number one is children obey your parents. There's a second role for children. Here it is. Honor your parents in verse 2, because it says, Honor your father and mother. By the way, my Bible has quotation marks around that. You know why? Because this isn't new. It's actually coming from the Old Testament. You do remember the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. From the very commandments in Exodus that God gave on Mount Sinai. It's been around a long time. It's a good idea because God came up with it. But we have to ask the question because God says there, honor. What does that mean to honor? What is honor? Honor means, are you listening? It means you're to prize your parents. Consider your parents as a prize. They are to be revered. They are to be valued highly. They are to be esteemed. You're to consider them dear. You're to consider them a precious commodity. That's what that means. And and by the way, same word is used for God. Same Greek words used for God. You're to honor God. God says, the way you honor Him, honor your parents. That's how serious this is. And so it means you're to hold them in the highest regard and respect. You say, wow, that's, that's hard. My parents are sinners. Yeah, I know. So were mine. And so am I. And so are you. So how do we honor our parents? Well, here's here's one way you can do that. Since your parents have looked after you all your life, provide for them when they get older. It's your responsibility. Provide for your parents when they get older. You say, well, the government's going to do that. No, they won't because there won't be any money left. 
right? They're already talking about raising the, you know, the whole retirement stuff. And the more money they keep printing and throwing away, the, the less there's going to be for us in the future anyway. So don't plan on there being any. It's the child's responsibility to take care of their retired parents. One, another way you could do this is just, just love them. Love is a great way to honor your parents. They need your love, just like you need their love. Regard them highly. There's so many ways you could do that. Uh, one, one of the ways you could do that is seek their counsel. Seek their thoughts. Their, see, they have a lot of life experience that you need to know. That's why God gave them to you, for one reason. Show respect and consideration to them. You say, well, man, that's really hard to do. Why, why would I want to do that? God gives you two reasons. And by the way, the command there to honor your parents is, is coming twofold. And it starts with the letter Q. There's, there's two Qs for you there. And God says, first of all, the first reason you should do this, why, why should you honor? It's because you should care about your quality of life. <laughs> Notice God says right there that it may be well with you or that it may go well with you in verse 3. So your quality of life is on the line based upon are you going to obey and honor your parents. God wants you to have a good quality of life. But if you disregard his command here, don't expect that to happen. The, the, the second reason why you should honor is because the quality, or sorry, not just quality, but as well as quantity of life. How long you live might be determined by how do you obey God here. Do you care about this command? Because he says, he talks about your life and how long you're going to live there in verse 3. He says that you may live long in the land. Two reasons why you should honor your parents. So you'll have a quality of life and quantity of life. But God moves on to the role of the fathers. I'm going to... And, and, and by the way, this is referring to all parents. That's the context. God's been talking about the parents uh, really all the way since chapter 5 even. He's referring to the husband and the wife. He's moved on to the parents there in chapter 6, verse 1. So the role of the parents here is important. And, and yes, the Bible says fathers there, which does usually refer to male parents. But it is a word that's also, depending on the context, is also used just in parents in general. Uh, in fact, uh, for example, in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the same exact word there was used for Moses' parents, plural. So you say, well, why does our Bible say fathers? Well, there's, there's at least two reasons that come to my mind. Is uh, Number one, in Bible times, the father was the dominant figure in the household. And in fact, in many cultures during Bible times, the father had power over life and death. A child and the wife was considered chattel. He could have that child, could have you killed if you were a child. He didn't need a reason. That's how powerful the father figure was. The other re obvious reason, based on the context of verse 4, is that it seems to be that fathers are the ones who typically 
provoke their children to anger. That's what God says. I know, some of you are saying, well, I don't. Well, okay, typically, basically, all right? And that's the, the, the first role of parents. By the way, ladies, mothers, you can do the same. So listen, don't provoke your child. That's what God says, don't provoke your child. By the way, it doesn't mean that we never do anything that's going to upset our child. It doesn't mean that you never do anything to annoy them or, or even make your child angry. Parents do that all the time. It's just because their child is sinful. <laughs> right? It wasn't because the parent was sinful. It's because the child's being sinful. For example, how many tantr- temper tantrums do you see in the grocery store? These people who run the grocery stores are mean to parents, aren't they? I mean, they put all the chocolate bars right there where you go to pay. Everybody has to go pay. Put the chocolate bar right there so my child can throw a temper tantrum. And because the, the parent gets embarrassed, what do they do? They buy the kid a chocolate bar. Unless they're a Christian parent who knows what the Bible says and says, no, you're not getting the chocolate bar. And your sin, your, your sin by your anger is definitely not going to get the chocolate bar. So it doesn't mean just because my child throws a temper tantrum and he's getting angry because he's, he has a sin nature and wants the chocolate doesn't mean your parent doesn't mean you're disobeying when you say no to your child. That's not what it's talking about. Literally, it means don't break this child's spirit. It means uh, it was used of, of taking the wind out of the sails of a sailing ship. Right? Don't, don't just take the wind out of their sails. Don't demolish your child. See, they can get angry and still not be demolished. Uh, they, they can get angry and not take totally destroy their spirit. So how do parents provoke their child? Well, there's all sorts of ways, and, and many bad examples in the Bible. Let me just give you a few. Right? Number one is overprotection. Overprotection is a, a common cause of resentment in children. These are the parents who smother their children. They're over-restrictive. You know, they don't let their children go anywhere, and uh, they can't do anything because they never trust their child to do the right thing on their own. They're continually questioning the judgment, and they're building up barriers between them and their children in the process. And it's, they're usually under the delusion that they are building a closer relationship to their child. And I could tell you the, the fruit of the devastation out of that. When I've seen children get out of the home, they usually go wild. Because they've never, they've overprotected, they've never taught their child to think biblically, and it's not good when they get out of the home. That's what usually happens. So children need careful guidance, and they need certain restrictions by all means. But they're an individual human being in their own right, and they have to learn to make decisions on their own. So if, the par- if parenting, you're a bad parent if you overprotect them and never teach them to live. A second way you can provoke your child is through favoritism. You don't want favorites if you have more than one child. If you only have one child, then you can say, you're my favorite child. That's fine. But if you have more than one, don't say that and don't act like that. Don't think like that. I mean, the classic example in the Bible is Isaac, who favored Esau over Jacob. And then, and then you had a, 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 you know, the mother, right? 
Rebecca preferred Jacob over Esau. What a disastrous family relationship there. That dual and conflicting favoritism not only caused great trouble for the immediate family, but it has lasting consequences even on into today. You wonder why Israel doesn't have peace? and never will until King Jesus comes to sort them out? <laughs> there you go. That's why. It has a lot of repercussions even that have gone into the present day. That's one of the reasons. Here's another one. Here's how parents can provoke their children to wrath, by being overly pushy. A little bit of pushiness can be okay sometimes, but being overly pushy is not. Sometimes parents provoke their children by pushing their achievement beyond reasonable bounds. I mean, if your child is Tiger Woods, by all means, give him golf lessons, right? But if your child is not Tiger Woods, don't expect... Don't give them golf lessons and expect them to grow up to be a professional golfer. You know, don't live your what you your sports, what you wanted to be in sports, what what you didn't achieve, don't expect your child to do the same, all right? Or or to be greater than you. That's what some parents do. And so a child can be so pressured to achieve that they become virtually destroyed by their parents. And they quickly learn that nothing they do is sufficient to please my parents. I mean, if I, am, if I am not a professional sports player, or if I'm not the smartest person in the world, or the most beautiful person in the world, then I, I just never match up to my parents' expectations. I mean, I have to walk on water. I have to be Jesus. For, and even then, they still wouldn't accept me. You know, that's what some kids feel like. And so fathers who sometimes, they, they fantasize their own achievements through the athletic skills of their son. Oh. And, and, and then there's mothers who fantasize about their daughter being on the front page of a magazine or whatever, right? You know, being the next uh, beautiful model that they wanted to be and never were. And so their poor child is just destroyed by the parent who's overly pushy. God says, parent, not just the fathers, but parent, you are provoking your child to anger, and that's sinful. That is not your role. A fourth one is discouragement. Don't discourage your child. See, a child who is never complimented, never encouraged by their parents, is going to be destined for trouble. You, you can pretty much expect that child to end up in the back seat of the police car. Usually. Unless God's grace changes a lot of things. I mean, if that poor child is, is always told they're wrong, they're, they're never right... That, per, that person, that individual is going to lose hope. He's going to become convinced that he's incapable of doing anything right. And at that point, that person has no reason even then to try. If they think they can't please their parents, why bother trying? Why don't I just do what the parent's telling me is going to happen anyway? Why don't I just break the law, go to prison? And so a child needs approval. A child needs encouragement in things that are good every bit as much as they need correction in the things that are not. Okay? Yes, children need correction. Children also need praise. 
A fifth way, fathers and mothers, you can provoke your children to anger is by making them feel unwanted. By making them feel unwanted. Sometimes parents fail to sacrifice for their children and sometimes make them feel unwanted. How would you feel if your parents was spending money on, on, on them and never on you? How does that make you feel? And children who are made to feel like they're an intrusion, like they're a mistake, or, uh, you know, I should have never had you, I wish I never had you. You know, if, they make, if you make them feel that way, you're going to provoke them to anger. Don't make them feel like they're always in the way. They're interfering with your plans. I wish I would have aborted you. And to such children, the parents themselves will eventually become unwanted in an intrusion on the children's plans and happiness. So be careful, parents. Don't provoke your children to anger. Another way you can do this is failing to let children grow up. It comes from failing to let children just kind of grow up at the normal pace, not not the world's pace. If you're constantly chiding them for always acting childish, even when they are a child, and that's kind of the normal thing for a child to do, uh, you're going to contribute to their immaturity rather than their maturity. Seven, don't use love as a tool of reward or punishment. By the way, these, this, this list is uh, I've gained from older, wiser people than me. In case you're wondering where the list is coming from. And this, this is the seventh way of, of angering children here is you can use love in a wrong way. Love's a good thing, but don't use it in the wrong way. So you grant don't don't just grant love when the child is good. And don't withdraw it when the child is bad. Often the practice is is done. Uh, maybe not uh, consciously. Sometimes parents aren't even really thinking about what, what they're doing and why they're doing. That's, that's dangerous. We need to recognize this. Hebrews 12 says, Those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, so discipline is right. God loves His children, therefore He disciplines them. It's easy to punish out of anger. Easy to punish out of resentment. It's easy for us to have the wrong attitude, sinful reasons even, and motivations for what we do. But parents should not take special care to just let their children, you know, love them, you know, only when they're good. That's dangerous. Last one. Be careful of physical and verbal abuse. By the way, it's not just physical. Don't think of just punching with fists kind of abuse. Sometimes we can attack people with our lips, our tongue, as James says. And battered children are a growing tragedy today. Just talk to the police. And even Christian parents and fathers sometimes overreact and, and they, they discipline their children out of a, a harsh anger. Proper physical discipline is not a matter of exerting your superior authority and strength over your child. See, a parent can easily overpower a, a, a small child, right? And, and you cannot just do it with your physical strength, but sometimes we can do it with words. Putting that child down with your superior arguments or 
your superior sarcasm is not helpful. You can provoke them to anger and resentment. So there you go, parents. Number one, God starts off with a negative for you. Your first part of your role is don't provoke your child to anger. Number two, God says you are to bring your child up. Parents, bring your child up. That's what it says in verse 4. By the way, that's present tense, active voice, imperative mood. You say, what does that mean? Well, it means, number one, look at here. Active voice here is indicating that children don't automatically grow up to be what God wants them to be. Should be obvious. God's saying, avoid passivity. Because this is active. This is something you must do. In other words, parent, don't be passive, but you have to be intentional. When God says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up, it means you have to do this. It's something you do. The child doesn't do this. You say, why? Well, here's what God says in Proverbs. If you leave a child to raise themselves, what do you think is going to happen? Well, in Proverbs, God says this. I'll put the verses on the screen for you. I think I did. Anyway, it says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So if you leave a foolish, someone who has foolishness in their heart, if you leave them to themselves, what do you think is going to come out? What do you think is going to be expressed? Foolishness. Proverbs 29.15 says, A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And the implication is to the father as well. And so if you allow a child to bring himself up, the result will be shameful to the parent. And so God wants you to be actively engaged in parenting. Parents, if you have a child, it's your responsibility. That's what the active voice there means. But number two, it's an imperative and the imperative mood there in Greek is informing you, my friend, that this is a command which God expects you to obey. In other words, it's not a suggestion. It is not an option. The only option open to a parent is to obey God's command to raise your child up. And number three, it's a present tense. And whenever you see something in present tense, it just means it's constant, it's continuous. So parenting is something that is constant and persistent. And those of you who are parents, you know. Do you ever get a holiday as a parent? No, you don't. Never do parents get holidays. So children, please be kind to us. So this is not a job that you're going to do in just a day. You can't, you can't give birth to the child one day and expect, well, I'm getting a break the next. It's not something that's going to happen in a year. It's a task that's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take constant effort. And notice it is the present task. It's not something in the past, because God could have put it in a past tense. He could have put it in a future tense. But God put it in a present task. It is a present task. It's, it's a job that in other words, it didn't end yesterday. It's not something that you put off until tomorrow. It's something you do today, and you keep doing it today, and then you're going to do it tomorrow until that child is married. So as long as the child is under your care, that means that every day 
will hold new opportunities for you to bring up your child. So my friend, beware of the pendulum swings, right? Beware of pendulum swings, right? Don't be passive, but you don't want to be authoritarian though either, right? Don't smother your child by withholding all freedoms. There's plenty of jokes going around, you know, after my child gets hormones, I'm going to lock them up in a box, and when they, you know, when they become mature, then I'll let them out. No. Don't treat them like a prisoner. Smothering is dangerous, but so is being permissive. Because God says, you're just, if you just let them do what they want, foolishness will come out of that child. But notice the third part of the parent's role is there in verse 4, You bring them up. In what way? How do I do this? Well, God says you discipline your child. You bring them up in the discipline. That's what it says. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And by the way, the discipline there is referring to this systematic training of children. It includes the idea of correction for for wrongdoing, for sin. Uh, we see this a lot in the book of Proverbs. Here, I'll put a couple verses on the screen for you. Here's what God says for, for parents to raise their children. They need to do this. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Now, Paul's meaning in verse 4 there is expressed even more fully in this this next proverb. When when the Bible says discipline, look at this. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. May I just remind you that Proverbs is generally true, not 100% true. There are plenty of parents who've done what, what the Bible says and have a child go their way, and they reject God. It's not necessarily the fault of the parent. A parent can do what's right, but a child has a will that can rebel against God. So discipline here, it has to do with this overall training of children. It's not just punishment, by the way. All right? Yes, it includes punishment, but don't overemphasize just on the punishment. Okay? It's like the, 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 the Bible talks about. It's, it's even when you walk in the way, when you rise up, when you sit down, as you're just walking through life, doing life together. You need Parents, you need to be intentional in your training. Every part of life is a teaching discipline moment. Use it wisely. God doesn't end there, though. Number four, here's the fourth part of your role, parents. You're to instruct your child. And that kind of goes with the discipline part. There are some similarities there. But instruction there in verse 4 is literally this idea. You are putting into something into the mind of your child. You're implanting into their mind, hopefully, godly biblical thoughts. It also includes this connotation of correction. Yes, you need to instruct on what is wrong. But it also includes what is right, and and give the proper motives for doing what's right. It refers to a type of instruction that's found in the book of Proverbs where that the primary focus is there is on the training and the teaching of children. It does not have as much to do with factual information, by the way, 
as it has to do with implanting into your child, what are the right attitudes? What are the principles behind my behavior? What, because think about this, parents and children. What's going to happen if someone always tells you to do something and never tells you why it's a good idea? That's dangerous. You need to inform your children why it's a good idea to obey God and do certain things. And so the key to right discipline and instruction of children here, notice it is being of the Lord. Because you are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction, not of Sigmund Freud, not of the public school system, not of worldly wisdom. Notice it is of the Lord. That means everything that parents do for their children is to be of God. And it's according to God's teaching that comes from His Word. It's, it's by the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, and you're to do everything for His honor and glory, and that includes your parenting. That's why we do it. So let me give you some suggestions for raising a child. <laughs> some of these I've, I've learned the hard way. Some of these I've learned from other people. Uh, so just a random list, no particular order. Uh, I'm not picking on anybody, so if the shoe fits, you can wear it. But I'm not picking on you, okay? First of all, this is a really good suggestion. You need to pray for and with your child. What are you doing when you do that? First of all, you're showing who is most important in your life, God. But you're also showing love. You're showing importance to your child when you do this. Because God comes first. But you know what? I love you too. So I'm going to pray for you. And in the process, you're, you're, you're teaching your child some really good stuff. Number two, express appreciation. And when you do it, do it often. Do it constantly. Do it frequently, consistently, every day of that child's life. So in other words, give them lots of praise. And by the way, when you do, be careful you're not always commending them for their sports ability or don't just commend them for their, uh, you know, a good grade in school or, you know, uh, you know their beauty because then you're, you're training them in the wrong direction. They need to be commended most of all for good character, for godly character and attitudes. That's what's most important. So if you're constantly commending them for their sports ability and that's the only thing you do, guess what you're training your child? Oh, I need to be a pro. Or, you know, that's the most important thing to God and my parents. So I need to do that. Don't do that. Number three, never mock a child. Don't belittle them. Certainly don't call them bad names. Your child should never hear that they're stupid or they're ugly or they're dumb or something like that. They should never hear those words from a parent. Every child is special, unique, made in God's image. That's what they need to know. Number four, give freedom to your child to make decisions. But, of course, there needs to be boundaries, you know, certainly not where serious issues are at stake, right? 
A five-year-old can't decide who they're going to marry, for example. That's just silly, right? Uh, so really be very careful, but at the same time, give them freedom. Uh, can a child decide what color socks they're going to wear today? Maybe, <laughs> right? But, but give some freedom. Don't be overly protective. Number five, when your child has problems or is a problem or both, uh, <clears throat> remain in control, parents. Right? One of the fruit of this part of the fruit of the spirit is self control. Do not lose control of yourself and start yelling and screaming and shouting at them. By the way, parents who do that are training their children and probably provoking their child to anger and sinning against God and training them in the wrong direction. Be careful. Number six, make your expectations very clear. Those of you who have a boss who is unclear, you know just how frustrating it is when you don't have a job description and you don't know where boundaries are, you don't know what you can do or not do. And so you, you just try to show initiative and do things and you get in trouble for it, constantly do it, trying to show initiative and be a good employee. That is frustrating, isn't it? Well, don't do that to your children if you're a parent. Help them to know what their expectations are and be very, very clear. Uh, we, you know, we don't always get this right, of course. We've certainly frustrated our children. But one of the things, for example, one of the things we try to do is we have, we have a chore list for, for each child. And uh, as, when they were young, we even had pictures. Because <laughs> most of our children are, are quite visual, right? And so, so the child knows what they're supposed to do, and then they're supposed to go and check it off when they do it. They know very, very clearly what their expectations are. So we don't have to be obnoxious nags every single day. They have a list, and they know what they're supposed to do. No child wants to constantly be nagged by a parent. And then when the child doesn't know what they're supposed to do, and then they don't do it or do something else, then the, then the parent comes down on them hard. That is going to provoke them to anger. Don't leave your child confused. Number seven, when you make a mistake with your child, and you will, you have, and you're going to do more, you must admit the mistake and then ask for forgiveness. I have thought I was right many times and found out I was wrong Maybe I blamed a, a certain child of mine for doing something I thought was wrong, and then I find out, oh, whoops, it wasn't actually that child, it was this one. What is my responsibility? I didn't always do this, but, but sometimes, sometimes I would admit my mistake, I would confess my sin to God and to that child and ask for forgiveness. That's the right thing to do. Number eight, assess your child's strengths. And then encourage that child to develop their God-given strengths. So I always say this. God has made every person unique. God has designed them a certain way. You need to find out, parent, one of your job descriptions is find out how God designed your child. And then it push them in a gentle, loving way toward the way God has designed them. So if your child, for example... Uh, if your child has a bent toward, toward being an artist, maybe get them some artist lessons, for example. 
Or if your child has a love for animals, maybe, maybe you can encourage that in a good way. Right? Those are just a couple examples I've noticed in my family. Or another child of my family I notice is constantly building stuff. Wow, I wonder if God made that person to build stuff. Yeah, maybe I need to encourage that person in building stuff. Or I have one child who likes to write, is good at writing. Hey, maybe we can encourage that person to write a book. Stay tuned, it's coming. Right? So you, you, you're assessing, assessing your child's strengths. How did God make them? And then help them see that and encourage them in that way. That's what good parents do. And then number nine, give tender loving care. So, And by the way, you do this not just in words, but in your deeds. You, you, you've heard that saying, right? Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your talk talks. No, no, I just got that backwards. Your walk talks louder than your talk talks. It does. Your walk, your life, is going to speak volumes to your child. Number 10. What do you need to be most concerned about? You need to be more concerned about godly attitudes and character in your child than how good are they at playing soccer or what kind of grades they get in school or how beautiful this child is. Because you can have, you've all seen the beautiful children who are brats. That is not the kind of child you want. And so we train our children to be brats sometimes. Parents are partly responsible for those brats. Number 11. Here's one of the things I loved about my parents is we, we planned fun times. We planned fun times. My parents planned fun times with their children. And it, it's a good thing. Don't, don't just be workaholics, right? And don't just expect, you know, you're constantly working and you're doing your thing and, and then my child's just going to, you know, I'm going to throw them in front of the Xbox, right? That's bad parenting. So you need to do things together. Sometimes you just need to plan those things or they may not happen. Number 12, when you do give discipline and you're doing what verse 4 here says, when you do that, it needs to be fair. It needs to be consistent and loving and prompt. It's really frustrating, you know, when the, when the child hears all the time, you just wait till your father gets home. Or, you know, it's, it's done in an unloving way. So you can do the right thing in an unloving way, and that poor child is going to be destroyed. Their spirit can be destroyed even when doing the right thing. It needs to be consistent, by the way. So it's not one day, you know, the poor child goes to the grocery store and, uh, hey, Mommy, I'd like a chocolate bar. Sure. And, and the next day you go to the grocery store, and the child is, there's so much inconsistency. One day they get disciplined for asking for a chocolate bar and throwing a tantrum temper tantrum, and then the next time they go to the grocery store, there's no discipline, and the discipline's so inconsistent, and that's really frustrating. Don't frustrate your child by being inconsistent. And number 13, look upon your role as a parent as a long process. <laughs> See, <clears throat> unrealistic expectations can destroy contentment. 
if if you don't if you don't think of it as a long process, you're going to have a hard time because it it is a long process, isn't it? And number fourteen, live your convictions consistently. See, uh, parents, your children have eyeballs and ears, and they're watching and they're listening. And sometimes what you say or don't say or even your body language, all this stuff is communicating to them, and they're watching and they're listening and they're learning from you. So live your convictions consistently. Number 15, prepare your child for life in this world and the next. See, you're, you're a parent, your role is not to just prepare them to go off to university. Some parents think that. You know, and then, then it's up to the university or it's up to the school or somebody else that my job is done. No, it's not. Primarily, you're preparing them for the next life, which hopefully is heaven with Jesus. And if you haven't done that, then you failed as a parent. And number 16, maintain Bible reading and prayer with your child. They need to be consistently in the Word of God. They need to be having a real connection to God. It needs to be a consistent fellowship with God. That needs to be your primary concern. And number 17, be involved as a family in a healthy church. It disturbs me. I, I, I'm hearing of even, even families in our own city here where parents go over to that church because they like the music over there, but the child doesn't like that music, so the child goes over here, and, uh, oh, the, the preaching's better over there, so the parents go there, and then, you know, you know what I mean? The families are divided up for wrong reasons. Sometimes the right reasons. But either way, it's still, it's still sad to hear about that, isn't it? Very common today. And so families who are worshiping God together and serving God together are, are going to tend to be more healthy. And number 18, parent, <clears throat> you need to learn to be a good listener. God gave you two ears, one mouth. Listen. Don't just stare at your child. Listen. And certainly don't have your face in your iPhone. Look at your child. Listen to them. I, I say this because you see this all the time when you're around town, right? What, what's the parent doing? I'm looking at Facebook. I'm looking at my emails. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go, go ahead. And, and the child could say, hey, can I go rob the store? I'd like some lollies. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. They're, they're not really listening. Don't do that. What's the child going to think? Mommy doesn't care about me. Doesn't love me. Give undivided attention. Actually show some interest in your child. Amazing what that does. And then number 19, labor to bring your child to Christ. Your child is not born a believer. They don't come out of the womb as a Christian. They don't come out loving God. Surprise, isn't it? So, win them for Christ. By the way, you do it through your life, uh, the environment that you, you set in your home, through your prayers for your child. You should be praying for them. You should be doing it through your speech, through your life, through your example. Of course, God saves. But God can use you as a good influence in your child's life, or for a bad one. Last of all, Yes, of course we know we're supposed to love our children, but love unconditionally. Love unconditionally. So parents, 
That means when your child comes to you and says, I, I know on my birth certificate you called me a male, but I'm now a female, and you need to call me accordingly. You say, is that happening? Yeah, we, we, we have many examples in Christian families where this is happening. Oh, I, I have friends who, who now call themselves homosexuals who used to claim to be Christians. And, and of course the sin disturbs God and should disturb us, but parents, you're still a parent. Love that person anyway, despite their sin. You're a sinner too. <laughs> Do you want your child to love you? Yeah. They're a sinner, yes. We don't love sin, but we still love the person, right? So love them unconditionally, even if they want to change whatever you put on their birth certificate. And this is happening today. It's happening a lot. Well, when you throw out reality, what do you get? You, you, <laughs> right? you throw out truth. You get all kinds of stuff today, don't you? But it's really, really important that we love them no matter what. All right, those, those are a few things that I've learned. I hope they're helpful. That's certainly not an exhaustive list. Parenting is, it might be one of the hardest, if not the hardest job in the whole universe. But it's also very rewarding. Right? And I'm thankful that God has given us some values and standards in his word. And we don't, you don't have to be the frog in the pot who slowly boils to death. You don't. But key here is that we submit to the roles that God has given to us. He's given us roles. Thank, thankful we know what they are. God's been very gracious, so may he enable us to fulfill those roles and submit to the role he's given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for giving us uh, clear, defined roles here. Uh, we're, we're thankful that uh, everything's just not equal. Uh, what anarchy and chaos would that and destruction that would be. But may we love your design. May we love your commands and fulfill them by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.